Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to a new episode of Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! Crowdfunders, how is everybody doing? Hopefully you guys are doing well. You guys are having an amazing 4th of July weekend. If this is your first time here, let me uh, let me get the, uh, the little stuff out of the way. I'm your host, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel, CEO of Woodshed Agency. And what we do is we talk to project creators. Uh, well, actually, before I say that, what is this podcast about? Let's really go through that first. So this podcast is about people who are either running crowdfunding campaigns or they've just finished up and we're talking to them while they're in the middle of the campaign because we want to know what did they do to become successful so that you can also have a successful campaign. So Woodshed Agency, the company I run, is a crowdfunding agency. We specialize in uh, Kickstarters, Indiegogos, but also equity crowdfunding. That's going to be platforms like WeFunder, Start Engine, Republic, uh, MicroVentures. So you know, what's the difference between those? Well, one is reward-based, meaning that you are basically pre-ordering the thing. And on the other side of that, the equity base is you're buying shares into the company. So those are the two big differences. So that's what we specialize. But today's episode is special. It's that simple. It's our 200th episode. So this is going to be a best of. We're going to go through some of our uh, absolutely most fantastic interviews and campaigns and and, uh, and and advice that we've gotten from project creators. And we're going to put them all together in one big episode, right? It's our 200th episode. So man, I got to, I got to be honest. I am, um, I'm, 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 Super happy, man. I can't believe we've gotten already 200 episodes of these. Um, you know, when we first started this, I don't even know now, almost three and a half years ago, maybe even four years ago now, you know, it was just like, hey, let's just try this. Let's see what happens. And, you know, because you guys are our listeners out there and you guys have continued to support this and um, have and have been interested enough in what we're doing, we've been able to do 200 of these things and we're hoping to do another 200 more. I mean, it's been an absolute, absolute just... Um, I don't know, man. For me, it's been amazing because it's it's connections, it's people we now know, it's new relationships. All of these things have come from from our episodes, um, and I don't know, man. I'm I'm giddy. So, um, you know, I'm I'm really thankful too that we've got uh, uh, I've got a, a new editor right now, Brandon, who's who's putting together this episode for us, which is which is great, and he's kind of going through all the content right now and and piecing together the best of, right? And I hope you guys enjoy that inner, um, that section coming up here in just a little bit. But, but also, I just, hey, uh, you know, hopefully you guys enjoyed last week. Uh, I want to thank Sean for, for filling in. Uh, the missus and I, we went on a little mini vacation in the northern uh, Michigan area, got away. Our first vacation as husband and wife without children, um, which, you know, yeah, it's never happened before. That's, so that's almost 10 years, right? <laughs> you know? Well, actually, we realized that it was about 10 years prior to that we went on vacation up north uh, and she was pregnant with Addie. So got to get away. And actually, uh, just right before I got on to record this episode, uh, I just booked uh, our next one. We're going to go back up north this time with the kids because, you know, it was felt pretty safe. Everybody was was following uh, the rules and the guidelines about masks. And um, so we found a little cottage with a kitchen um, up in the Frankfurt area, Frankfurt, Michigan area, which is what we love. So we're going to head up there in August uh, as a family and, uh, and do some hanging out. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, so Sean, it was great to have him uh, fill in, but it's great to be back on the mic and talking to everybody and, and, uh, and it's 4th of July weekend. So it's, it feels weird. You know, it's not like a traditional 4th of July. It's uh, it's a little different, you know, but, um, still, uh, we st- still got the old, uh, one ones away water park out and people are coming over and we ate some pizza yesterday and, you know, we're doing our social distancing, uh, get togethers, right. We're all sitting six feet apart and just hanging out and talking, right. You know, not, not, not doing too much, not, I mean, it doesn't really feel that different now that I think about it. I mean, there really wasn't, I mean, it's not like we were, you know, I don't know, grinding and dancing on each other like it was a dance party when we had other part, you know, other get togethers prior to this. But, you know, it is still a little different. It just feels different. You know, you're everybody's a little bit more on edge. Um, 
you know, everybody's taking those precautions. I know we are, you know, we've got some friends coming over today at three to, to hang out, use the bouncy house and, and whatnot, or, you know, the young kids and stuff. And, you know, you're just, you're really uh, super on it about, you know, how will people get the food out of this dish? What Cut the grapes all up and, you know, just whatever it is, you're just super village um, hyper about just making sure that, you know, everybody feels safe, man. I don't want anybody to feel like, you know, we're, you know, we're not trying, right? But, but yeah. It's what it is, right? Fourth of July, Fourth of July. So, what are you guys all out there doing? Are you guys all? Uh, you guys, I'll tell you what. Last night, you know, um, Kid Rock definitely must have saw his shadow because the amount of fireworks going on last night until like one in the morning was that was a lot of fireworks. I, I gotta be honest. Also, I've never, I'm not a fireworks guy. Um, you know, I, I've never, I've never went anywhere and was like, you know what, I want to spend five hundred bucks and literally light it on fire, right? And I, you know, so maybe I'm just not into the, the pyrotechnics or the, uh, or that's just not my, my, my vibe or my bag, but it really is like lighting money on fire. Right. I mean, isn't that as close to the definition as possible? I, I, I don't know. I can't think of a worse thing to purchase that, you know, you're literally going to light on fire and blow it up. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Uh, you know, but but yeah, you know, but it's still great to, you know, it also feels like a weird 4th of July just because it's like almost every day is like 4th of July. You know, we're not, we're, we're really not doing that much anyways, right? So I don't know. I don't know. But it's good to relax. It's good to, I don't even know what it's good anymore, truthfully. Um, just got back. I uh, just got done doing a little disc golfing with a buddy. Shout out to my disc golf buddy out there and just tried out my new discs. I went and got some of my own discs, you know, and got some from, for, for the wife. And I got a couple for the kids so that if we go as a family, maybe, maybe that's something to do. It's free, right? It's free. You walk around the woods, it's uh, social distancing. A lot of people out on the course today. Um, and it's hot out. I'm not gonna lie. It's hot. I was sweaty, but, uh, you know, getting this at intro done and, um, you know, getting this 200th episode up, man, I'm just, I'm still kind of a little bit. I'm honestly, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm a little blown away that <laughs> that I stuck to it for this long. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not sure. But you know, every interview has been amazing, and it's always, like I said, it's always been great. So, um, so with all that said, you know, I don't want to keep everybody. I know everybody is probably just getting back from the vacations. If you're listening to this on Monday, everybody's just kind of getting back into the new grind. It's if you're around the Midwest like I am, it's 100 degrees, so you probably sweat. You probably sweat it all the way to work. Uh, you know, your shirt, your shirt's all a little sweaty. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so hopefully you guys are, are doing well out there. You guys are enjoying the episodes. Remember, these are some of the things that you can do to help us, right? If you are a fan of what you're listening to, make sure you, one, tell a friend if, you know, Hey, go check out this podcast. It's great. That's the first thing. Second thing is make sure you're a subscriber, smash that subscribe button, man, smash it. Whether you get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're listening, go and smash that subscribe button. That's going to be our new, new phrase here, smash and subscribe buttons. I think that comes from my kids' YouTube when they're watching that. They, that's what the kids say on the YouTube. You got to smash that subscribe button. So make sure you guys are doing that. Um, if you are thinking about running a crowdfunding campaign, before you do that, make sure you go over to woodshed.agency right now. Go to the consultation. That's my calendar link. Pick 20 minutes just to, just to have a have a conversation with me. Pick my brain. See what we're working on. See what what's happening around us. You know, see you know have a conversation with us about what COVID's doing to crowdfunding. Right? We can have a, a nice conversation about that. Whether it's in the equity space, reward based space, or if you're just thinking about you know doing e-commerce, we do a lot of that as well. So, um, so like I said, that's free. It's 20 minutes. Pick a time. And last, you can go to our blog. We got tons of content there. Um, so feel free to to click read, learn, all that sort of, sort of stuff. But um, awesome, awesome. Well, I am going to, like I said, this is our 200th episode. We over here at Woodshed Agency are super static for all of our listeners out there, all of you guys for sticking with us and listening to everything and uh, being a part of this and sharing it out and hopefully getting your campaign successfully funded. That's the, uh, that's the true goal. That's why we do this. Um, so why don't we go ahead and listen to the best of and uh, of the last 200 episodes. Here we go. You know, for yourself particularly, where do you kind of jump in on this project and, and start kind of taking the research and starting to put this together into like something that is on Kickstarter right now. 
Yeah, so I'm one of the founders. Um, I met my other two founders, Matt and David, when we were engineering students at MIT in the material science and engineering department. And we got together and started working on this in a contest called MADMEC, which is basically around sustainability. And so we were actually inspired to heat and cool people directly as a way to help buildings save energy. And it was only after building our first prototypes that we discovered that actually just feels really good. When you're too hot, something cold feels good, and that's valuable in and of itself. Um, and that was in the summer of 2013. We ended up winning that contest in fall 2013, and it basically spent the last four years um, taking what was you know, a school science project, really crude benchtop technology, and field testing it, and shrinking it, and designing it into a form factor that you know, is actually a consumer product ready, and then getting it ready to manufacture. And we made a decision early on that you know, even though we got a lot of people who said, when can I buy this, when can I buy this, when can I buy this, we said, we don't want to sell it to you until we know we can deliver. So right. we've waited this long to go on Kickstarter because we needed to have a, a finished design. And then not only that, we needed to have a finished design that we wanted to have manufactured at scale. So you know, one of the things we're really proud of is that we've completed our engineering sample builds already with our contract manufacturer, meaning we've built units on an assembly line with production parts and production um, you know, kind of manufacturing and assembly techniques. And so we basically got to this moment of being on Kickstarter by reaching that manufacturing milestone. It's like, okay, we've now designed this and we've shown we can build this in a way that is scalable to mass production. So, you know, it was really hitting that milestone this summer. I was actually in, in China for that, that build, which is really exciting that, that let us kind of say, okay, now is the time. You know, I think that's a pretty big step you took, though. I mean, just kind of, even though you were seeing, it sounds like you were seeing a lot of the uh, um, the writing on the wall, like, you know, these opportunities kind of presenting themselves, but that still is a big step. How did, you know, and I think this is hard for a lot of people, like, you know, how, how did you jump into that vulnerability? How did you jump into, like, I, I'm comfortable with this? I'm sure you might have even had people in your ear going, what are you doing? You, you, you got a job, you know, like, yeah. what do you, you know, how do you kind of, can you teach that or do you just think that that's something that was just in you? How, how do you, you know, break down that wall to just jump into the deep end, basically? Uh, I am not sure I have, if I can, I can do that because uh, everyone is like on, on his way. But in my, in, my, in my point of view, everyone should try it. I mean, if you don't try it, uh, who says that? that idea couldn't become real or couldn't be a great idea. Sure. So at the end, the crowdfunding, for example, gives you this opportunity without risking too much. Is it true that I decide to quit my job, but maybe uh, people can try it to, to complement, to, to work both ideas together. Sure. But sure. As, as, I didn't, I, as we didn't have any experience on the shoe business, we have to go to the center. Well, we have to go to Alicante to learn about that. Right. In Spain, we have like a really huge shoe business mm -hmm. industry. So, so I went there for two weeks. I talked to many, to a lot of people, and it was like, okay, let let's try it. Let's see if this can work. And I don't know. I, I it's really hard also because yeah. there are days that nothing is going on. Nothing <laughs> is okay. But if you at the end, if you if you are passionate and you want to chase your dream, you, you, I think everyone can. Sure. And, and what was the sort of um, spirit maybe in, in Barcelona where you are in the university? Um, how much resources were, was available that you're utilizing right now? I mean, how important were some of those figures? It was very important because now in, in Spain and uh, particularly in Barcelona, there have been a lot of... Uh, success entrepreneurs for like many, um, I don't know how to say, like many companies that were sold and there are a lot of entrepreneurs giving advice and people that, okay, the entrepreneur, the, the startup ecosystem here is raising and it's really big. There is a lot of money. There are a lot of organizations that uh, give help to uh, young people like us. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you want to fundraise money, you can do it in this way. You can ask to that guy or you can do it. So it was really important for us 
to have like these non-profit organizations. For example, we have here one in Barcelona, it's called Barcelona Activa. Mm-hmm. And then you can go there and ask for advice. But also like the, the real entrepreneurs, the experienced entrepreneurs are here like, okay, you can call them, you can email them and maybe they can answer. Maybe not. Sure. It, right, just, right. Try it. Just try it because maybe they can help you and you can learn or in another way you can learn a lot from them also. Well, where does that process start that? I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of people have that like, oh yeah, we should do this. Uh, but you obviously took it to the next step. So what kind of started the process to, you know, developing a water gun and, and what were you trying to get out of it? Like, like what, what was the conversations around that of like, I want my water gun to do this and this and this. Well, you know. well I'd say that in the movies, they always portray it as, you know, as a kind of stroke of genius. You're like, okay, this is a good product for, you know, there's a market for it and anything. But I think most ideas start really slow. You know, you're like, yeah. oh, I should build a water gun. And then you're thinking about it and then you do something else and then you come back to it after two weeks. And then you, you know, you buy a water gun, you disassemble it, you look at it. And this is basically how, how it started for us, you know. So I, I asked a friend, he's an engineer, and I was like, I'm a designer, so, you know, maybe we can do something together. And he was <laughs> right. like, yeah, well, why not? You know, I don't have a lot of time, but, you know, I can help you out. And um, basically, that was how it got started. But then, of course, part-time, you know, on the weekends. And then, you know, as it got more serious and as we delivered results, obviously, you know, more people came in and we were like, okay, we really want to do this. This is, you know, a product that we want to sell. And obviously, there's a huge step between I built something, a prototype stage for myself, and this is going to be produced mass market. So that was, that was huge. And we started to realize that pretty quickly. So, you know, what were some of the things that I guess just that you, you know, it sounds like, so you're a designer. So do you have I mean, do you do this? Have you designed other things? What what type of designs do you do that, that you thought you could actually design this and, and make it? Well, yeah, well, obviously, I think ignorance is bliss because I was at the beginning, I wasn't qualified to build a water gun. And uh, I, sometimes I think I'm not still now. Um, you know, I was, a, I was in the car industry, in the automotive industry, and I was designing car parts, you know, for the interior. And that is, is cool and that's a good job, but um, it has nothing to do with a water gun. It's not right. the toy industry. It works completely different. They, you try to, you know, reach different prices. You have different criteria on, on what to build and how safe it must be and all these things. And uh, so I came from a background that was slightly similar to or related to what I do now. Mm-hmm. But of course, there's so much that you learn. And um, if you don't come from the toy industry, you notice pretty quickly that there's so much stuff that you need to adhere, that you need to understand. There's so many rules and regulations like in any industry. So um, that was something that, a big learning for us. For a, you know, I mean, you made a big step. You jumped from a job into like, I want to make a game. What would you tell somebody else in your position? Like, this is the first thing that we did, right? This was like right out of the gate. I know I want to do this, but I laid out a timeline or I wrote a script or, or what was sort of that first step out of the gate for this? I would recommend to not do that. Because, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what would you because, do? Like a lot of people have passion towards something and, uh, and that's fine. And passion could really, could really uh, drive you towards something, but you need to have some kind of obsession with that, you know, so the passion is not enough. So only if you're really willing to sacrifice a lot of things, even a part of your soul Mm -hmm. in the process, then you might be on something, Mm -hmm. but don't kid yourself that that the idea is going to sell, sell itself. It won't. I mean, you need to be like uh, full time on that and uh, obsessive in not just the idea and the marketing and logistics and finance and everything. And there's so many layers that that there is in the whole journey that in the end, I don't want to discourage people, but they need to understand that it's not just about the idea and not just about passion. Mm, yeah. And, and uh, you're a family man, aren't you? If I'm not mistaken, I thought I had some kids and stuff, right? You mentioned an email that you had to put some kids to bed, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. How, how did you, um, you know, again, this is, I think you and I might have some share, like share some of this uh, entrepreneur vibe or this sort of diving headfirst into something. 
Mm-hmm. How did you convince the family that this was a great step for you? That this that that you had that passion, you had that drive. I have to do this. Like, you know, there's other That's people the involved reason. in the equation. Well, you know? Yeah, exactly. And one of the reasons why I, why I've done it in 2013 is because I didn't have kids. Ah. So that's a very big difference. Very big and difference, yeah. Exactly. And in the meantime, I now have, have two kids. And there were like four to five years between the first and the second edition. And one of the big reasons for that is kids. Right. So that's a very, very big, um, big sacrifice. And it, it was very hard because actually uh, one of the hardest things is even – uh, with with the with the stress and everything with this is with the kids as well because I don't want to uh, be a lousy father because I want to be here for the baby and for my toddler. So right. that means I need to be in the Kickstarter with everything and but also you know playing and being <laughs> there and putting to sleep and just being there. So that's a very 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 stressful and I couldn't do that before. If I had kids, to be yeah. honest, I don't see myself doing that. In regards to like on the business side of stuff, I mean, this is usually like a pretty stressful time for a lot of CEOs and just everybody, right? There's so much going on, conversations, backers coming in, communications, you know, guys like me bugging you to do an interview and sitting down. <laughs> how, how do you stay organized what are some of the tools you might use or how would you tell somebody like another person in your shoes hey this is a lot of stuff is going to be happening how do you know how do you stay focused on this stuff yeah yeah i think the 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 biggest challenge is um or the 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 most work hurt is to to get a proper kickstarter site done which means you have to analyze your product and you have to think um Mind in on the view of the consumer, how does he? How would he look uh, at at this product, and what are the objectives or the obstacles that he might have? And you have you have to try to answer all this in one page. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of work before that you have to you have to think and rethink and and let others uh, look over it to see uh, what are they asking them. Secondly, what I think was what was quite helpful when you do this pre-campaign, you also do um, a landing page. Now, on the landing page, uh, you also you already get a lot of questions, uh, which which you can use to insert this to the campaign page on on Kickstarter. I think this is very necessary. With this, you can reduce a lot of questions that are coming up, because there are, there are still if you can do if you do already a really good page. Uh, there are a lot of questions coming up, uh, especially coming to shoes. It's about sizing. Uh, there are a lot of uncertainties from consumers. Mm-hmm. So, but I would say overall, it is think about your product, think about the object- objectives, um, think about the ins- insecurities that people might have. Plus, you have to deliver a very good uh, customer service then, because we we get a lot of, of questions, and yeah, we got a tool. That uh, that is structuring all these these kind of questions because there are to, nowadays uh, the consumers are coming from different uh, different kind of um, uh, channels like they're coming from Facebook questions from Facebook questions on Instagram uh, questions uh, via telephone questions via email and also we, we shouldn't forget all the questions coming up on the comments <laughs> on the Kickstarter page mm-hmm. so you have to get. Um, you have to get a quick response, and uh, we're using it. We're using an efficient tool for this to collect, let's say, three of those of those five channels. What are you looking for, right, on, on a project when you're when you're looking at some of these platforms? You know, are you looking for, are you investing because you saw a Facebook ad or they were great on Twitter, they emailed you? Like if, if some, some, one of these projects is getting into your universe, what's making you decide to pull the trigger? Is it just the bottom line, the numbers? Or, or is it the story? What is it? I think there are two kinds of crowdfunding investment. And, and this is, in some, to some extent, roughly speaking, a difference between, say, Reg CF on the one hand and Regulation A on the other hand. There are some companies that just you have a personal attachment to. And that's why they, you know, the microbreweries have done so well. Yeah. A microbrewery is going to open in your town 
you like craft beer as I do. And maybe they offer a reward. You know, if you invest a certain amount of money, you get a free, a new free beer every Thursday night, something like that. Maybe they don't, but you'd like it in your town. You think it's cool. Um, So there are those kind of, uh, you know, personal interest stories, investments, or on a more serious note, and there actually haven't been as many of these as I would have thought. But, you know, a company is uh, trying to develop um, a, a new treatment for new therapy for cystic fibrosis, for example, mm-hmm. breast cancer. Yeah. And you've been touched by that disease, either personally or a friend. And so, yeah, you say, what the heck, man? Um, let me... Let me participate. This is an important, meaningful thing. So there are those. Mm-hmm. Now, on the, I'm just trying to make some money side. Personally, what I look for is track record. Uh, and I'm, when I'm preparing legal documents for one of these things, I'm <laughs> focusing on track record. You know, what have you done in the past? How can we uh, present that in the most effective way? And you get and and this is what I'm talking about. For example, I know of right now on the market a couple of multifamily regulation A offerings with developers who over the last fifteen or twenty years have just had a consistently uh, terrific, stable track record. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm investing in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I'm not that smart. <laughs> and I, I don't say that with false modesty. I say it with real modesty, like the guy, you know, Winston Churchill remarked of someone, he's a very modest man and has much to be modest about. <laughs> but um, I'm not an expert. I've yeah. been representing these folks for, for decades, but I really don't know mm-hmm. how to pick real estate. So I, I think I'm in the same camp as, as most retail investors. So I want a track record. I'm going to believe that if a group has been doing it for 20 years, they, they probably know what they're doing. Yeah. So I've got, I've got a couple, look, two follow-up questions maybe to that. So the first one is, well, I'd love to get your take on this. So one of the things that I, I feel like I'm seeing as somebody who has sat on both sides of VC, getting some and you know being a decision maker, I am finding that a lot of the platforms are losing or, ha- or are out of touch with that handshake or personal touch that you're talking about. And we're seeing it quite a bit on the platforms I mentioned earlier in terms of there still is this element of like, I need to see you. I need to know who you are. I'm not just going to put in $20,000 into a random website. This is not an Amazon purchase. This is, you know, I need to know who you are. Right. Um, and I think the, the, the portals are, aren't doing a very good job of that. Is that, now that's, that's interesting to me to hear do you, you say see, that. Yeah. Do you see like, do you, how do you feel in that in, in regards to that? Is that something you've seen or, or how do you feel about that when you're just going to a random website and going, you know, let me just put some money in here in this. And, and some of the platforms are a little archaic too in that where it's not smooth and then it's buggy and it's like, what am I doing here? You know? And, and yeah. I'm wondering how you think about some of that sort of stuff. Well, I, I think that's what makes real estate such an attractive, um, you know, investment asset class for crowdfunding. Way back when crowdfunding began, as you might recall, because it does involve the internet, everyone, me included, thought this is going to be about high-tech companies, you know, cool websites, the next Facebook, blah, blah, blah. And then very brief uh, before things had gotten too far, in fact, I think before it was even legal, I actually wrote a blog post and I said, well, you know, You know, these companies like that are hard to invest in from 2,000 miles away because mm-hmm. you don't you don't get to shake hands. So, you know, I think actually real estate might be a good candidate. <laughs> and then and, and that has indeed turned out to be true. I totally agree with you. I have a hard time investing in an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, someone's idea, the person that I someone I don't know. Um, I have a very hard time investing from 2,000 miles away in that company. If I don't, now again, if it's a cystic fibrosis therapy, maybe I do Mm -hmm. because I just have a personal interest in that. But otherwise, 
I'm I'm probably going to choose the multifamily deal. When you're kind of putting together this campaign, what was some of the thought pattern behind what you thought you needed to have in place to be successful? So again, somebody else thinking about running a campaign here soon. What were some of the internal conversations where you're like, you know, these are the things that we want to have in place so that we know it's going to be successful? What, what were some of the conversations like? Um, because of the um, legalities that are um, attached with doing a crowdfunding campaign, I would say make sure you get yourself a really good legal team, mm-hmm. you know, to make sure that you're doing the paperwork properly. Right. That is, and you want to make sure that um, everything that you're saying has integrity with the flow, how it's going to go, because there's nothing worse than, you know, um, launching something like this and you, you know, you were... Um, you were supposed to have, you know, the C form completed by all the directors. Right, right. You know? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sure, I'll sign yeah. it. I'm like, a what form? <laughs> yeah. So, no. Yeah. So, uh, thank God I didn't have to do that. <laughs> right. um, because, yeah, and, you know, it's it really is, is um, just... Have a, have a couple people on your team that's familiar with the process. And it's really great with WeFunder. You know, they, they hold your hand quite a bit through the process. Yeah. So, um, and then it's what you're, this is big. This one here is really big. It's knowing what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say. Sure. Yep. You know, we're still governed by the SEC um, Securities and Exchange Commission rules and regulations. So you've got to be really, really careful um, that your marketing material is um, aligned with, you know, what, what you're allowed to say. Because, you know, we as marketing people, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, yeah. we just want to tell and share everything and and the lawyers are going no 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 yeah yeah forward-looking statement yeah it definitely takes a team and but for you as like as you know as the one championing this message, did you feel like you had to seek out certain types of people or it's like certain mentors? Uh, and I bring this up because I literally just got back from a conference where we were talking about this stuff in terms of like, you know, putting people around you, you know, that gets what you're doing, but can elevate what you're working on and has networks. Did you find like, did you feel like you had to find people like that around you? Yes, I did. And, you know, and, it, and it's been a process, right? So as we've opened, you know, because again, this it's my first time really doing a retail business like this. Um, I started learning as, as we, you know, as things evolved and, and realized the type of people that I needed to bring around me or add to the team. So for example, we just brought on a new chef. His name is chef Johnny and you know, he's a vegan chef and he's passionate about it. And he's brought a lot to the team. Whereas before we didn't have that, somebody that knowledgeable as far as preparing the foods and that, and that type of thing. And so as we go, you know, we realize where the gaps are and then I try to go out and search to find the right, right talent to fill those gaps. Yeah. That's, that's super crucial and important. So, you know, like, so what, what keeps you up at night? What's the thing that you're like, nah, I gotta, I gotta fix this. (laughs) You know, what's one thing? Yeah. You know, that's a good question. There's a lot of things these days that keep me up. Um, you know, I think, you know, one of the, I think something that surprised me, you know, maintaining a strong team, like the employees, right? Making sure that, you know, because in food service, I've learned in this business, you know, there's high turnover. Yeah. And in South Florida, you know, we have a lot of sort of folks that come and go. So, you know, we see that in terms of um, employees. So that is something we have to pay extra attention to is making sure we are constantly, you know, so we always are looking for folks, right? Mm-hmm. We're always, we always have an add up looking for folks because of the turnover. But I think we, we do have a good core team. Um, but I think that's something that concerns us and we have to stay on top of. And of course, again, as I mentioned, you know, retail these days is tough, and especially in the slow periods, you know, because it's so cyclical. Right. And, um, you know, and it's in the slow periods, you know, you just got to make sure that we're generating enough revenue to be able to cover our costs. Mm-hmm. So that keeps me up at night as well. So those are, those are probably the main thing. <laughs> uh, those are, those are two big ones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those aren't two easy things to just fix, you know? Uh, uh, and I'm sure too, I, I would imagine that, you know, with staff, um, you know, 
at this point, I mean, they're also brand ambassadors. They are your, you know, your 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 front door to a to your products, your world, what you're building. I'm assuming that you're going to want them to be very knowledgeable, very passionate, really believe in this stuff. And it's not just somebody right off the street, I, I would assume, right? Like, is that, is that probably a fair statement? Yeah, it's a very fair statement. And, you know, and so far, I mean, our staff is not all vegan, mm-hmm. but I would say majority vegan. And, you know, they want to work for us. They want to be part of Vegan Fine Foods and they're passionate about, you know, what they're doing because... Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's been really help, helpful, and you're right. They they have been brand ambassadors, and and as a result, you know, they provide a higher level of uh, customer service. Um, and you know, as they're talking about the products or recommending things to customers, you can see that it's genuine and sincere, and they really, you know, they really want to help. Yeah, so, yeah, that's that's been really important for us. They keep on trying, keep on telling me that it is the only way that we should live. So let, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk Kickstarter strategy. You know, so your fifth go around, what kind of pre-launch activities or, or things did you do prior to, to letting this puppy fly? Oh, man, I'll tell you, that's some, I would say that's our weakest area right now. Uh, I think we had really good results from this campaign, which I'll talk about. But I think um, uh, finding your first followers, giving them the tools to get excited, and then telling them when to show up, is is a challenge. Um, we have had twenty one thousand um, unique backers engage with us, either in Kickstarter or in a pledge manager. Um, so twenty one thousand people across our of our across our five campaigns. Um, you know, I know, I know who they are. I've got their emails from all of the you know from from fulfilling, um, and and so we say, okay, hey. How do we tell them about it? And there's two ways. So the first is Facebook advertising, right? I, I, you know, advertising is a, as a kid, as a, as a young adult, I thought was a dirty word, but advertising is just another word for, hey, I'm just letting you know about something that I think you care about, right? And I, I'm paying to do that because um, not everybody pays attention. That's right. So, so I think the first thing we did is just said, hey, this is coming. Social media, um, boosted posts, doing full Facebook ads, um, is the first thing. We're just putting all of our first dollars into finding our first followers. Uh, the second thing we did is Backer Kit, one of the, the pledge managers that's pretty common in the board game space. Uh, they launched a new service called Backer Kit Launch. It's an email marketing service uh, that just takes the emails of your backers and sends them a very simple, hey, the launch date for this Kickstarter is this day you can get notified by going to the Kickstarter page. I think the new Kickstarter notify me um, button. Yeah, that's a great new feature with that yeah. landing page. It's yeah. great, yeah. So we, um, you know, that's, those, those are the two baskets that we kind of pushed, um, pushed uh, finances into as well as our efforts um, and just said, hey, y'all, we need you to show up on Tuesday, February 4th. So those are the kind of the, the, the two, the two digital, the, di- the two digital things we did. Then there's two other things we, um, we sponsored and attended a conference the weekend before our launch um, and showed off Parks Memories for the first time. Um, it was a surprise. No one knew that we were working on this tile matching game. I think people are still surprised that we made a tile matching game. But th- there's some doubters out there. I, I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised when they get it. So we showed it off um, in person, and-, and we let those people talk about it. Um, I think getting products into people's hands and letting them tell the story was a... Especially yeah. in board games. Yes. Especially in tabletop. It's Absolutely. so critical. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so that was kind of the, the our, you know, as you talk about success of a campaign was going to find our first followers, the people that are like, I'm an instant back, like here, take my money. I don't even know what you're doing. Um, and, and those people showed up. I was shocked. So um, critical. Yeah. It's so critical. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, day one, uh, we, we, we raised more money on day one than we raised on our first four ca- campaigns in total, or sorry, first three campaigns in total. Um, and that was from that was from the highest returning backer rate I've ever had. So I had people show up from 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 before, and then you so know that, that's just to unpack it. So that's that's backers of your four previous campaigns combined with um, the the strategy of emails of hey notifications is happening. That day one was more than any of your other campaigns. That's right. Yeah, I've got I've got actually numbers, fantastic. numbers right here. Yeah, I think we had. You know, 190,000 pledged, um, and then backer-wise, cool. This this doesn't have that. 
but uh, yeah, we had we had more backers day one. Uh, 30, uh, 3,500 backers on day one. Yeah, so you forex your goal in twenty four hours. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, again, getting people to show up day one was was critical. Um, I think this this project presented a huge challenge to us because it's an expansion. You have to have the base game in order to uh, in order to to buy it. Um, well, the base game sold out. Uh, we have had trouble reprinting it. Um, you know, just holiday season. We uh, we worked on some some small edits to make it um, translatable into German and French, and that caused a delay. Then everybody else was trying to get their projects in before Chinese New Year. Then coronavirus hit. So basically, Park Parks is is out of stock. The base game. So we're trying to say, hey, people that want the expansion, you're going to come. You're going to get the expansion. You know about it how do I talk to all the people on Kickstarter who've never heard of parks? And that was a challenge. It was like, Hey, this is about the expansion, but you can get the base game. Uh, oh, but you might be able to get it in May in a retail store, or you can back it and get it in your order in September. Oh, oh by the way, we have a new standalone game. So, you know, once we had it, once, once we got through uh, telling our first followers about it, it's been a two week um, process of figuring out, how do we go get new people to invest in not only a, a, a board game that they've never played before and the expansion? And oh, by the way, you should probably check out our brand new standalone tile matching game. They keep on trying, keep on telling me that it is the only way that we should live today. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about um, what happens when you get to manage 6,000 backers. Like, you know, you guys. Stated a goal of around a quarter million Canadian, which is ambitious. You know, I think you, you had an idea that this was going to be big. Mm-hmm. You know, when you quintuple that, what does that do to your team? What, is, what does that do to your planning of rolling out this game? Good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because other people asked us the same question. And honestly, we, it was not an issue for us. I mean... Uh, what we've done with our previous games, we had only like 900 backers, 950 backers. And the way we structured the production of the game, the quality of the game, we don't ever compromise on uh, uh, the quality whatsoever, whether it's in uh, game design, uh, graphic design, illustration and stuff. We, we want to work with the best people and we already structured the, the, the amount of freelancers because Flaos is just Thomas and I. We're just two guys running the, the edition company, but we're hiring many, many uh, freelancers for that work. And I mean, doing something f- for like uh, 900 backers and doing that for 6,000, even 10,000, I mean, it's just a production matter how we will manage the production delays, uh, the, the amount of copy that needs to be delivered, like to the fulfillment centers. This is more technical but in the end it does not affect the quality of the game itself once we agree that we're going to use this type of assets uh, for the game design like the booklets for dialogues uh, this type of tokens if you produce one or ten thousand for us it does not change anything it's just that we need to be more careful with the manufacturer at the end so we're sure there is no um, no product production um, malfunctions and you know issues with the quality but we just need to be more focused on on quality but the the game itself won't be affected by the amount of players i mean we're super happy that we have so many backers but honestly we would have delivered the same quality game if we had 10 backers right so for us it's it's not a it's not an issue well how much how much um Pre-launch marketing and advertising and audience building did you do on your end um, prior to launching the campaign? Um, to begin, Thomas and I have a background in... Uh, Thomas worked for startups for Intel back in time and stuff. I worked for um, advertising agencies for over 10 years now. And we have this experience in building, you know, talking to the various communities. And we did like perhaps like a six month work on how to communicate, how to reach the vampire fans, how to reach a board game enthusiast and build like uh, videos uh, to talk about the gameplay. And we opened the campaign like um, the guys from um, 
Awaken Realms do. I mean, they open their campaign, people can see what they're doing, and right. they're adjusting details here and there. Because previously, in our previous campaigns, we were scared of showing things. I think it's a human reaction. You know, you just want to, to show what's perfect and, and well-designed, and you don't want to open to yeah. critics before. And this is a mistake that we avoided in that campaign. We showed early process to the, the, the potential backers. We opened the campaign before its real uh, launch date, like the draft, so people could see, make yep. suggestions. And we adapted many, many things to that campaign and the game itself on the, Kickstarter, on the, the Facebook page first and on the draft because they gave us their feedback and we adjusted. You know, this is the second time the companies ran a Kickstarter. I mean, obviously first time for this product, but how yeah. did the conversations kind of happen internally around wanting to use Kickstarter again? What was, why go to this as opposed to maybe just launching it on your own website? What were some of the benefits that you guys saw as to doing a Kickstarter for it? Okay, that's great. Because um, I think I just mentioned before, because um, backers are the most passionate um, groups in the whole world. They, they, they believe in tech, they, they believe in the bright future, and they believe in some things that they probably, you know, like some things that's out of the imaginations or some other people they probably won't believe. And that's a cool point. Because for us, we are some engineers and we are thrilled. We have the, we have the passion for the technology, but sometimes it's really hard for, you know, like other people to get, you know, like uh, to, to get understand of, uh, of the concepts or the ideas. But when it comes to the backers, to the Kickstarter community, everything is different. We feel, you know, like we, we, we can be understood and, and, and we can get connected to someone in, in this big, big world. And to someone, when, when they send us the message, when they ask us questions, we can feel the, you know, like the connection. We can feel that they really want to see the product or to have the product. And it cheers us up. And this is the motivation for us, you know, like to, to tackle down every bug we have during the development to, you know, like solve the problems, to, you know, like polish the, the design to get ClickBot better. Because each time when we have the connection, communication on Kickstarter, and that's, you know, like a little push for us to get closer to a more pro perfect pro product. And, um, and we feel very, you know, like very thrilled to share this pride with the backers all over the world. And, and thank you, Jeff, for, you know, like <laughs> letting me have this chance to, to, yeah. to, to say, the, say it out because, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm getting emotional because of this question. But thank yeah, you. Yeah, that's great. All right, everybody. Thank you so much again for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed the best of here. Um, 200, man. Let's do another 200. Hope you guys all stay with me. Make sure you go out and tell your friends and family about, you know, about what you're listening to. Um, if you are a fan, make sure you smash that subscribe button. Uh, listen to some Sugar People music over on Spotify. That's all the music that the music beds that we use here on all every episode. Make sure you check those out. Uh, and you know, like that. You know, like the old band music, right? That's how that's helpful too. All of it's great. And uh, and if again, like I said, if you're getting ready to run a campaign, make sure you go over to woodshed.agency right now. Go to the consultation button, read the blog, subscribe to the podcast, all kinds of free, valuable information out there for you. And um, all right, guys, let's do another 200 episodes. Here we go. Thanks so much, man. Have a good one. They keep on trying, keep on telling me that it is the only way that we should live today. So why are you telling me that it's okay to waste away all my life? I've been there so many times. I'm lost and dying to care. Addiction makes you a slave. I've been there so many times before been so high above and then came crashing down again. Well, you saw me.
lost left in the line You know, no, 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 you shouldn't try it How about we try a better blast? You know, no, 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 it'll work a little faster You realize the trail that you're looking for is hiding I keep on missing, maybe it's because I'm out of veins Get a little bit, little, little, little bit more Find it, sunshine, sunshine and more Think I was a chameleon Changing for no good reason Try and keep on telling 